You eat one of those pepperoni rolls? How did you know that? You could tell? I could <laughs> I could hear you eating, and I just figured you probably got one of those pepperoni rolls. This is my second one today. <laughs> I had a pepperoni roll technically for breakfast. Welcome to the Rancid Taco Movie Review Podcast. Today we're doing Clerks. Nooch to the motherfucker, nooch. Clerks came out in 1994 and had 88% on Rotten Tomatoes. This completes our trifecta for Kevin Smith movies, even though we've kind of gone middle, end, front. We've done it all out of order, but this is the first of Kevin Smith's movies, the one that really gave him his cheddar, made him famous. Yeah, and it's the highest rated of all of them. Too. I, I don't know if what I did, agree what did, that. What did uh, Rotten Tomatoes give this? 88%. Whoa. Yeah. That's crazy because I feel the same way that you do. It's not my favorite movie of theirs, but I have some uh, interesting thing from Wikipedia here that says Wikipedia 2019 National Film Registry, Registry deemed it culturally, historically, or aesthetically significant. So it's and in the so, it's in the vault. Yeah, it's like in the in the in the vault in the film canon. So is that a real vault? I always hear about it. Uh, I don't know about that. I always pictured it's it's like a cave in the mountains that, in case there's a nuclear attack or the aliens come or something, we'll have all these movies preserved. Like that's the job that I want, then. Like, yeah. Oh yeah. I, this is my two weeks. I'm putting in my two weeks right now. Even though I don't get paid for this podcast or anything like that, but I'm putting in my two E's right now, and I'm officially applying for the National Film Registry's vault frontman. I don't know. I don't know what you. Call it, it would be a gatekeeper. Vault, vault clerk. That would be a hell of a job. I'm imagining a, probably a two man job. One guy like stands at the door and opens the vault, and the other yeah. guy is more of a studious type with glasses, and it's like a big library. It's like a, that, a Game of Thrones. Hey, put your two weeks in, bro. We can do it. West Virginia would be a great place to have one of those caves. Yeah, who's going to think to attack West Virginia for Hollywood's most notorious films? I'm not really sure how Clerks made it on there, though. Yeah, that is strange to me, because it is, while it is a good movie, particularly when you consider the budget. Oh, yeah. We, we can't even spend much time talking about the cast, because there's no cast to really speak of. There is no cast, yeah. There's Jay, Silent Bob. Uh, like... Those are the two most. Those are the two most recognizable characters. After that, we don't know anyone, and we will never see any of those characters again until Clerks do. Here is a an excellent number for this movie: twenty seven thousand five hundred and seventy five dollars to make Clerks. How much? Twenty seven thousand five hundred and seventy five dollars. They made an entire movie for less than thirty k. Yes, so so like less than a year's salary, they made a movie. That movie grossed over three million dollars. What a hit! Right, that's, that's awesome. what I'm talking. About. That it literally gave Kevin Smith the funds and the reputation that he needed to do all the movies that we've already talked about, and all the movies after that, which are absolutely horrible, but. We won't go into that. You think they're all horrible? Mostly, yes. But not all of them. I guess there's a couple with redeeming qualities. Like Tusk. 
if you if you insist. I, I insist. I absolutely All right. Tusk. All right. I like your I like your cooking. Yeah, you gotta like Tusk. Maybe you just didn't give it a fair shake. What's he say in the lighthouse? All right. Have it your way. I like your lobster. Have it your way. I'm fond of your cooking. I'm fond of your cooking. <laughs> After he lays this long diatribe on him. Hark! <laughs> yeah, so Clerks is really hard to go scene by scene or even talk about the plot because it's very meandering and strange and it's just kind of funny lines and funny dialogue and it's a perfect yeah. example of what we talked about with Kevin Smith and the other movies. Yes. He, he's always just giving these funny lines and these uh, recurring jokes and that's pretty much what this whole movie is. If I had to give it a plot, I would say it's about two clerks that work in one in a what was uh like a gas station and one in yep. a movie store and they're just slackers and their lives are shit. Yep. Specifically Dante, who's more of the protagonist of the movie than I would say the other clerk Randall. Yeah. And it's a love it's like it's a it's a commentary on relationships which is common with Kevin Smith movies. And it's filled with philosophical, whimsical writings, which is this, the identity of most Kevin Smith movies. So it's like super philosophical, super love story that does not exactly work out, but it's a commentary on, on, on the love story. It was crazy when you told me that he wrote the script for Dogma before this because this seems so far behind dogma in terms of a story mm -hmm. with with meat on it yeah it's yeah this it's pretty bare this is this is not the but this is way more philosophical than mall rats you've got to agree it is the whole movie is a series of kevin smith's philosophies tied into a script almost in a seinfeld like way where nothing is ser nothing is really going on except for small skits that really expound upon his philosophies and don't really have a point or purpose to drive the film forward but we eventually get to the end and there's there's a story formed you know let's get through the story a little bit and and yeah. I'll kind of tell you how I feel cuz they he breaks it up into parts he kind of gives it an artistic touch with uh, he uses these what would you like a a screen a black screen with white word on it and it's going through different phases yeah. I, I suppose of the movie mm -hmm. so after they introduce Dante uh, the first clerk he, he falls out of his closet I don't know if uh, you think that's symbolic of anything or if that's just a funny scene but he kind of rolls out of the closet in the opening scene and it shows him he, he takes a call to go to work on his day off, he says, I'm not even supposed to be here today, which he says about 20 other times in the movie. Uh, yeah. And then it shows him getting ready in this nice little montage. Uh, yeah. Opening yeah, up the, the store and everything. But it, it shows that he's a pushover. The montage is very fun, yeah. Because it shows him making cereal in the pig's head that he put, like he has a sugar jar that's like... You pull it, pull it apart, and it's half a. It's a pig, and then you pull it apart, and he has the top, and dumps the cereal and the and the milk in there, and then pours the sugar in from the bowl, and it, it just looks like the peak of the laziness and 
this guy just doing the, the bare minimum to have breakfast and get ready to go. And if you remember your first ever job or, you know, the crappiest job you ever had, it was probably a lot like that. It was for me, uh, uh, yeah. like a security job in college. And I didn't take it seriously. And I would, you know, if they called me, I wouldn't answer the phone. I was a slacker and lazy and, <laughs> and sleeping through my shift, even though it starts at like seven in the evening, stuff like that. Yeah. Well, and in all fairness, he wasn't supposed to be there. You know, he just closed up the night before. So he was probably tired from the night before. He stayed up late or whatever. He knew he was going to be sleeping through the day, so he had to hide the light. Maybe his blinds weren't great or something. Because I've actually had that issue where I've, I've slept in room because I work night shift as bartender or whatever. And if you don't have your blinds and your room all set up to be a, an absolute cave – then the sun comes in and completely ruins your sleep pattern. I guess it's easier than hanging up trash bags on the windows, but I have seen people do that. Dante is a pushover. Yes. He agrees to go to work, even though it's his day off. He lets the customers kind of run over him, as you see several times throughout yep. the movie. One of the other things that's funny is he can never get the, yep. the door to work, so he has to hang up a sign that says, I assure you we're open. And then it's a recurring joke that all these customers come in and they say, hey, are you open? Yes, yes. Yeah. And there's he actually regales a wonderful story about when he's a child later in the flick that we can talk about at that point. But that explains uh, just how much of a pushover he really is. I think him fixing that is kind of the plot or kind of what they're going for in the movie. It's about overcoming that. I mean, let's let's be honest. If it was me or you and somebody calls me up on my day off, first of all, I don't answer the phone on my day off, especially if it's a work person. And it's different because we can see our phone. We can look and see who's calling us. He he had a he had like an ancient 95 phone that was attached to the to the well, it's funny because he has it in the laundry hamper, but it's, you know, an actual landline. And it's it's just I would never answer the phone in that situation. So the first he, – he gets into beefs with all kinds of customers. But uh, the first one is this this guy is talk, uh, telling other people not to smoke. He, he's at the counter selling cigarettes, and this guy's loitering in the store telling all these other guys not to smoke. So each guy that comes up, you know, he says, pack cigarettes, and then he sells them the cigarettes. And this, this third guy just stands there, and he says, no, you shouldn't smoke that. And then he pushes this gum on him. So by the end of the morning, he's got a whole angry mob of, of people throwing cigarettes at him and, and yelling at him as the clerk. They call him the Merchant of Death. Merchant of Death. Yeah, that's a great line. Here, I'm going to buy some Chulies gum. Now I'm a customer engaging in a conversation with other customers. I kind of like that, that guy's <laughs> performance. I bet he's never acted in anything other, other than that, but I kind of like that guy. I actually wrote that down. I wrote down... Uh, this is maybe the best actor in this film. <laughs> yeah, he's good. There's one other guy I like better, but you probably already know who it is. Not as an actor, but we'll get to that. Um, I can guess. Uh, I can guess. So between those scenes with the guy beefing with them over the cigarettes, you they introduced Jay and Bob. This would be their first ever appearance in the movie. Yeah, Jay's delivery of his lines are absolute trash, too. It's pretty funny. Yeah, Jay's pretty bad. And even like Bob's he's, not great. You, yeah, you can really just tell. I mean, at least Bob doesn't have to say any lines, but Jay is just completely, like, unseasoned as an actor. 
And I have to give him credit because as the movies go on, he gets much better and, and starts understanding his niche a little bit better. Yeah, he does get to be a lot better. It's a shame that he doesn't have an acting career beyond these movies. But I don't think we need to rip him for yeah. his Matthews three weeks in a row. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Let's go for the hat trick. Uh, yeah, I mean, if he hadn't got into meth, he could have really been something. But Well, the scene opens up with him like drinking a beer and, and shooting it out of his mouth like Triple H entering the ring or something like that. Oh, yeah, he's calling the girls sluts as they walk by. He's dancing. He's yeah. totally insane. I'll fuck anything that moves. <laughs> I mean, that's one of his better better lines. It, it sticks with you. Yeah. And it also mm-hmm. shows uh, Willem early on, which is Scott Mosier. I'd say he's probably one yep. of the more prominent extras on the show. Uh, they have the funny conversation when, well, it, his girlfriend comes in. Veronica's her name. Oh, and, yeah. And while she's there, this guy Willem checks out and gets some cigarettes and he seems really weird, and then when he leaves... She makes some small talk. Yeah, they make small talk, yeah. and then when he they leaves... They make a little small talk. She, she, he asks her how many men he she has slept with, and she says... Well, well, because Scott Mosier's character, he said, she calls him Snowball, and he's like, why does she call him, why does she call him that? And she says a friend made up the name for him. He's like, oh, and it's because he likes to have... After a blowjob, he likes to have it spit back in his mouth as a snowball, and they call him Snowball. And so his the, his girlfriend says, yeah, whatever, the other girl called him that. And he's like, oh, that's pretty sick of her to do that. And she's like, she didn't do it. He's like, what do you mean? You just said she is. Like, I didn't say she did it. I snowballed him. <laughs> she reveals she'd not only blown Snowball, but like 70 other guys as well. 36. Oh, 37, including Dante. That's right, 37. Yeah. Which is funny because while she's counting them in her head, he has to check out some some old lady or something, and they're buying stuff, and he's, like, slamming the money down, not giving anyone change, just waiting for her to finish counting. How many, How many dicks? How many dicks have you saw? <laughs> so the guy walks up to the counter, and he says, pack of smokes. And he says, my girlfriend th- smoked 30, uh, sucked 37 dicks a today and he says in a row yeah in a row <laughs> my favorite line comes from this scene so i'm not gonna release it now but it's it comes up in a minute all right we'll save it then so that's yeah. that's vilification then it goes to a quick intro of randall uh he walks in uh, doing this weird egyptian head to the side walk uh and then the funniest no. thing he makes a bet with he he's standing outside the store he's supposed to have opened and there's someone waiting to rent a movie. Uh, they get into it and he eventually bets her that he'll get the movie and she won't not revealing that he actually works there. He's the one that she's waiting for. Yeah. So he bets her $20. I'd like to know if she paid. I can't imagine that she would have paid up. It's probably- well, I'd like to know if he actually didn't let her rent the movie just so he could win the bet, because that's very consistent with Randall's character. Oh, it's, it's totally consistent. He's- it seems like they have a nice interaction because he opens the door and walks in and then kind of forgets about her for just a split second and then comes back and, like a gentleman, opens the door for her and lets her walk in. <laughs> Randall is the first Brody, you know? Yeah, he is. Randall is Brody 1.0. You know what I mean? Yeah, he- I agree. He's like the arrogant asshole, 
and nonconformist and just complete dick, but is so right all the time with the, some of the things that he's saying that you can't help but root for him or be on his side in the end. Yeah, he's a likable guy, and I don't know that the acting performance yes, is that great, but the character is pretty great. Yes. He orders, at one point, he orders a bunch of DVDs in front of this mom and a, a little kid, and it's a bunch of porn DVDs. So, so he's just sitting there reading off, like, come sluts one, <laughs> come sluts two, come on Eileen, just over and over again ordering these videos right in front and, of this little and girl. She's she's got her child in her hands and has asked for a children's movie requested, and then he's like, what was the name of it? Oh, yeah. <laughs> My Little Pony or something like that. Yeah. So that's the little intro they give us to Randall. I think he also gives Dante some girlfriend advice, which he does several times throughout. Uh, Dante, is, he's got a girlfriend, Veronica, but he's hes upset about all the blowjobs. Uh, so he, he tells Randall. And then they also talk about well, how he's in love with another girl as well. Yeah, so he's actually in love with another girl, and uh, Victoria, that's her name, correct? Yeah, that's Veronica. That's the first. Is it Veronica? Veronica. So Veronica is basically somebody who he's using to waste time and have sex with, and he's really waiting for the love of his life, his high school sweetheart, Caitlin Bray. Caitlin Bray, who we will see later on. And hopefully we we don't all Bray or Bray? I think it's Bray. I don't know. It might Bray, be Caitlin Bray. That sounds right. Yeah. Anyway, that's that's later on. But they do they do bring her up here because she's an important part of the story. Uh, what story yeah. there is, anyway. So then they move on to something they they call <laughs> syntax. And here's a funny line in in here. I don't know it word for word, but Jace admits basically to banging his cousin. He's like. I don't care if she is my my cousin. I'm going to hit that shit again tonight, yo, or something like that. You only catch the back half of him saying it as the scene what? starts. I don't even know what you're talking about. What are you talking about? Explain this to me. So it, it ends the scene. It says syntax, and then immediately it cuts to Jay talking with Olaf and Silent Bob outside, and he says, you just catch the back end of whatever he had been saying, but he says, I don't care if she is my cousin. I'm going to hit that shit again tonight, cuz, or something like that. <laughs> I had no idea that, that I didn't even know that was real. Yeah, it, it was a I good never, one. I never, even, I never even noticed that. That's, the, that's one of the wonderful things that Kevin Smith does with his movies is pack those little things into the script for, for people who rewatch it. You catch those I things. I noticed it before either, and, and then I heard it this time. I was like, man, that's pretty funny. That's a good line for Jay. Yeah, they also do the berserker thing. Uh, they have their is it his cousin or a foreign exchange student, but it's a Russian guy who's Bob's Bob's cousin, I think. So he wants to be a, a death metal singer, and he sings this berserker song. Yeah, which is totally ridiculous. I remember liking it a lot more when I was younger, but this time I was just like, "What the hell is this?" Well, and later the song actually plays in the soundtrack of the movie, so. They do bring it back and like the song plays. But the funny part of this is Jay's explaining to this girl that walks up about this Russian guy that's visiting. And he's like, yo, Olaf, metal, metal, bro. Chicks dig metal. And he's getting him to try to say it. And he's like, do you 
Want to suck my cock, Berserk? Uh, would you like for making fuck Berserk? Uh, so he says these. He says these lines. He says I'm wrong, and Jay's kind of like making fun of him, I guess. And she says the girl that's there says, "Did he say making fuck?" Yeah, making fuck. That's actually all in all, it's a pretty funny little scene. Yeah. They also have a scene with a, a Pringle can. This guy gets his hand stuck in a Pringle can, and this is inside with Dante. And mm-hmm. Dante's helping him pull it off, and he finally gets it off. He says, "Sometimes you got to let those hard to reach chips go." Oh yeah, that's a that line sums up Dante's whole love life. It does essentially. I, I think that uh, they snuck that in there on purpose. It's the advice Dante needed to take that he was giving other people. Yes, yeah, yeah. I think you're exactly right. He says, "Sometimes you have to let those hard to reach chips go," and that is a perfect metaphor. For his relationship with Caitlin Bray, Bray. The other thing that sticks out in that scene for me is the the guy who gets his hand stuck. When he pulls it out, he's flexing his fingers, and he's like, "Oh man, it's really sore." And he's like rubbing his arm like it, like a wrestler or something. Yeah, it's so stupid. That, that guy's a complete doofus, and I hope every time Kevin Smith watches that, he kicks himself when they ask for casting that guy. The guy's on screen for 30 seconds, and it's just one big yeah. cringe. And it's like he doesn't seem like a human at all. No, he's shaking his fist. He's, he's breathing hard. Like, like, pants. You, you, they should really put warning signs on this thing. Yeah, I mean, he's, he's the worst kind of actor where it's just like over-the-top characterization of a stupid person. I don't know. What, I don't know what I don't know how to explain him. Other than the fact that he doesn't seem like a real human you've ever met on Earth before. Yeah, it, it was so bad it was almost good. I kind of yeah. like things that make me cringe and and sadness for the person. Yeah. And that one was, it was pretty bad. Bad enough that I wanted to write it down. Yeah, if that's what they were going for, then they nailed it. Yeah. I don't think anyone was going for that. I think that guy just sucked. <laughs> so they they go to a Star Wars debate. Uh, Randall, of course, locks up the store and goes to the quick stop where Dante works. He does it often. He just hangs out with him. And they debate Star Wars. Uh, basically, Randall's trying to say that the people building the Death Star were innocent victims of the Rebels. And therefore, they the Rebels were just as bad as the Empire. It's all just a bunch of Star Wars bullshit. But it's a 20-minute scene or 10-minute scene. It's pretty significant. Well, it's it's maybe one of the greatest speeches in his movies that absolutely serves zero purpose to advancing the story but it highlights some of his philosophy of like okay so in the in the what's the star wars movie which one is it return of the jedi yeah return is the one where they blow up the second death star yeah so in return of the jedi they're remaking the death star and then the good guys who we're supposed to be rooting for blow up the death star and then you think about how many he says that, you know, there were there must have been hundreds of thousands of carpenters or however many carpenters and, and electricians and people trying to build this Death Star. They were all all probably personally they were all outsourced and just innocent people working on the Death Star to make money and, you know, say, the, you know, make money for the family. And. We all cheer this huge thing going on where they destroy the second Death Star, but in reality, a bunch of innocent carpenters and construction workers were basically slaughtered by the good guys. Yeah, I mean, it it kind of, if you look at it like that, 
it, it is sad for them, but they're also working for the evil empire. So that's that's the next part that comes in, right? What's the guy that comes after that? Doesn't uh, doesn't he compare it to the Nazis at one point or Hitler? Well, I know he says that uh, he was going to take a job for an Italian mobster. And then he didn't take the job because the guy was associated with the Italian mob. And while the other people that took the job that he was supposed to take were working with baby face Gambino or whatever he says the name is, it's like a generic mobster name. But he put a hit out for that guy and ended up killing him. And something happened to the construction workers working on that site. So he says that it 100% has to do with you being skeptical of, of who you accept work from, essentially. Right. You, you can't just associate yourself with anybody. Yeah, it's some, of, it's some of Kevin Smith's most brilliant writing, to be honest. And it does nothing to advance the plot, which we don't even really know what it is, but still, still just fun writing for Kevin Smith. Well, Jay, the, the entire time they're debating this, Jay is walking around the store stealing and eating the food, <laughs> which is kind of which funny. Is, it, it's not which is thematic. That's pretty thematic for Jay. Like, that's his thing is he steals candy in almost every film we've seen him in. Yeah, it's character building. He, he's just stealing donuts, stuffing them in his mouth, grinning. All in all, that, the syntax portion of the movie was pretty good. It was, pretty, it was comedy, and they could have cut the whole thing, and it wouldn't have missed anything from the plot, but I like that one. Yeah, it's a, it's a great scene that really encapsulates Clerks, uh, to me, is a conglomeration of good scenes. And this is one of those scenes that is super memorable because of the discussion they're having. Not really because of the characters, essentially, which usually is Kevin Smith's bread and butter is the character-driven scripts. And this is actually some real fun philosophical stuff that he's talking about. Once you see who he's got in this movie, you can tell why he stayed friends with all these guys later on. To make yeah. three million dollars off a film like this, where he's didn't he actually work in that store and and film on the set while they were closed? That's why I had to shoot in black and white. Yeah, he, yeah. Most of the time he was shooting, I believe, was at night because it was when the store was closed. Which is which is pretty common. I mean, I remember having to do that on a film crew that I shot with in Brooklyn, and we shot in a bar at from like four a.m. to seven a.m. So it was basically you showed up at four a.m. and shot, and we had the grates down, so it just looked like night, and you just shoot all through the night because they essentially would be closed, and you talk the owner into being like, "Oh, okay, yeah, we'll let you in here. That we don't mind." I can't imagine when he would have been sleeping if he's working all day and filming all night and he still spent $23,000. I guess he never he just went months without sleep. Yeah, he was young. He probably had the energy to do it and the, the want to get uh, to make money. I mean, this film, we already established this film made him uh, $273,000. Two hundred, two million and seven hundred, seven hundred forty-three thousand, or something like that. It made him essentially after the after the mathematics are done. He made nearly three million dollars. Yeah, that's that's pretty insane. He was able to flip it like that. Once you have one yeah. big hit like that, the temptation would be just to retire. But 
he kept going. He made a long yeah. career out of it. Yeah. So we go to Vagary is the next subtitle they have up on the screen. And it's basically just a couple short little scenes. The one guy's counting the eggs uh, to make sure they're okay. I... Oh, wait. Now, not just one guy. Walt Flanagan is counting the eggs. Is that Walt Flanagan counting the eggs? Yes, Walt Flanagan plays multiple characters in this movie. He bought cigarettes in the first scene with the Chewley's gum guy, right? Right. Now he is the egg man. Walt Flanagan is the guy that is uh, going over the eggs and making sure each one's perfect. He's a school counselor or something like that. He's finally inspecting every single egg to make sure he's finding the perfect dozen. And then by the end of the scene, he just ends up slamming the eggs against the the fridge door, which is kind of funny. To test them. Yeah. And while that's and going he, on, Randall kicks out a customer in his store. He's rude as hell to her for no reason. She asks for a recommendation. He doesn't give her one. And then when he, she gets smart with him back, he kicks her out and calls her an unruly customer. And he says it upsets him so much he has to lock up the store and, and go tell Dante about it. Mm-hmm. Randall is actually the worst employee I think you could ever have. Yeah, well, we have this beautiful dynamic going on between Randall and Dante because Randall is the worst uh, customer service person you could have, and Dante is probably about the best customer service person you could ask for, where he will bend over backwards for whatever you want, whatever you need, even when it's insane and he's taking way too much shit. And then you have Randall who can't answer a simple question, which is like, is this movie good or is this movie bad? And he goes, yeah, whatever. Uh, whatever. And he ignores her. And then she turns around with the same movie and says, well, is, are these good or bad? And he's like, oh, yeah, those are bad. And she's like, they're the same movie. And he's like, oh, I really appreciate you. I don't appreciate your ruse. <laughs> and then he makes her feel guilty for tricking him into thinking, into Trapping him, for essentially. Yeah, he, he's so upset about it, he kicks her out and says, never come back here again. Yeah. So that's pretty, like you said, he's he's the worst employee you could ever have. But Dante is, he shows how frustrated he can be with the customers, but he does still bend over backward to give them what they want, which actually ends up being somewhat of a, a downfall for him. Uh, we'll get to that in just a little bit. It's almost, it's just up ahead. But from vagary, they go to pur- purgation, purgation, uh, which is just again a bunch of scenes of annoying customers. There's one guy that chastises them for using such filthy language. That is also Walt Flanagan. That's Walt Flanagan. Yeah, I like that guy. He's actually really funny. He almost oh, cries. he's great. He plays multiple characters in every movie that they do, and he's he's kind of hilarious in his bit roles and he's not as you can tell he's not that good at at but he's just kind of hilarious at whatever he does there's so many funny lines i really like this little montage they have the one the one woman says how much did this cost and she's standing in front of 10 signs that say 99 cents and the one guy is like i got what you mean i gotta drink this coffee hot (laughs) yeah this whole movie is sort of like um it's sort of a uh, statement on customer service. Essentially, if you've ever worked in the customer service industry, you know exactly how stupid people can be. Oh, yeah. You're and answering both dumb of, questions all day, every day. 
all day long you're answering questions that you think like how do people not know this already but of course you're answering the questions 100 times a day they're walking in for the first time in their life so it's always there's a there's a there's a balance between the two like the the clerks and the customer service people are always way over judgmental of the customers and the customers are also assholes a lot of the time so customer says I'm going to get Navy SEALs or something like that, which I don't know what Navy SEALs is. I'm, I'm sure it's a movie. It must be a bad movie, but supposed to be a generic bad movie. I think it's the way he delivers. That's pretty funny. Like I said, I like this whole montage. They, the same, the thing I liked the most was the guy saying, what, I got to drink this coffee hot, which now yeah. it's not that funny because there's iced coffee everywhere and it's not absurd to not want to drink your coffee hot. Yeah. Yeah. But back then, that you know, I guess it was out of the question to think of drinking hot, yeah. cold coffee. Yeah, it's like uh, you want cold coffee. Yeah. So, so Dante's girlfriend comes back, Veronica, and she brings him some lasagna, and they make up. He says he's still mad about all the dicks, but he'll get over it, and he's not quite as mad as before. Immediately brought down when they go to Malaise, because he gets a phone call from his boss saying. His relief is in Vermont, and he's going to have to work uh, double shift. Yeah, so this is another example of Dante bending over backwards for his work. And he wants to say, go fuck yourself. And he says, well, no, no, okay, all right. Well, I'm not mad at you. No, I didn't mean to yell at you. Because the person on the phone is just relaying the information about his boss who's not showing up, or whoever it is is not showing up, and he's got to stay there till the close. And Randall even says, why did you apologize? You have every right to be pissed off, which he does have a right to be pissed off. But if you're the only yeah. person working in the store, once you're there, you can't, you have to stay. You can't, you can't leave. Oh yeah. Unless you just, unless you just want to completely shut the store down and lock it. And which, in which case you're probably going to get fired for doing that or something. I don't know. It's, well, he does or, shut the store down for yeah, a couple hours yeah. to go play hockey on the roof. That would... Yeah, if it was if it was Randall, he'd have shut the door shut the store down and left. He probably wouldn't even showed up to begin with. But it's Dante and he's definitely just gonna lick the boots. Yeah, he's he he's been saying this whole time he's had this hockey game at two. So he calls his buddies and they agree to play on the roof. And that doesn't go very well for him either. Uh, he's just mainly the other hockey players are dicks to him. The one guy says he begs him for a Gatorade. He says he doesn't want to give up the Gatorade, but then he essentially gives in again because he's such a pushover. And the guy like cusses him out as he leaves. Another, yeah, what is he? I can't remember what he says to him when he leaves. I can't something either. Like... I didn't write it down, but he cusses him. I remember thinking like, man, he caved and gave you the Gatorade, and he still calls him like a little bitch. Or His something. name is like you're a little bit, yeah, so something like that. And I think that that guy is. One of the guys that gets stoned and knocked out in Mallrats, I think it's the same guy. I can see that. He, I just remember he looked like Mike. He looked like uh, Shawn Michaels. Yeah, he had long Michaels. hair like that. Yeah, the heartbreak kid. Yeah, and then another guy climbs up the ladder, a customer demanding service because the the store's closed. So he's got guys on both sides of him bitching. One guy wants Gatorade, and they wanted to play. And the other guy wants uh, to buy something at the store, and he says we're not open right now. Well, okay, so yeah, so we have to also preface this by now. He has closed 
He was supposed to play hockey that day. He has closed the store, and now they are playing hockey on the roof of the store, him and his friends. And they're about 12 minutes into playing hockey. When the ball goes off the roof. Or they- well, yeah, the, ass, the asshole customer comes up there and just beats his ass, basically knocks him over, kicks him as he runs by. And instead of – because, like, the, the, the customer is like, oh, you can't even run the point. What do you – you suck. And he's talking trash to him all the time. And then he was like, all right, let's play heads up, face off, or whatever. And they, they face off, and the customer knocks him over, grabs the ball, and hits it off into the distance. And we never see, we see it roll down a drain pipe. And that's the only ball they had. So the hockey game is off. Yeah. yeah. But all, all his buddies did take a Gatorade out of the store. And so he has yeah. to pay for all those as the clerk. And they're out of Gatorade. Yeah. So it continues to get shitty for Dante. But it goes to my favorite scene next, and this is when they start Harbinger, uh, which means like to usually you hear Harbinger of doom because something bad is yeah. about to happen. And it's funny how they lead into it. This is my very favorite scene is when this old man comes in and he says, hey, Sonny, uh, can I use the bathroom? And of course, it takes him five minutes to, to get to spit this out. And he wanders off the screen. And then he comes back. And Dante, of course, doesn't want him to use the bathroom because it's employees only, but he lets him. And then he walks back. Well, and he's like the sweet old Jewish guy that you don't really suspect of being. He's like, Sonny, uh, yeah, I noticed you got the soft stuff. And in the back, you got the rough stuff. I was hoping maybe you'd let me take some of the soft stuff back there. Or it tears my hemorrhoids apart. So he finally relents and gives him the soft stuff, the soft toilet paper. He walks back off screen, and then a few seconds later, he walks up. He says, do you think I could have something to read, maybe? He points at these porn magazines in the back, and he's like, oh, let me have the other one. They got bigger titties in there. You know, bigger titties. Oh, yeah, not that one. The one behind that. They got bigger titties in that magazine. He says, I like the articles, the comics. They make me laugh. (laughs) Yeah. So he gets the fresh toilet paper, a porn magazine, and he goes into the employee bathroom, and you're you're meant to forget about this guy, which Dante does. Yeah, we forget about him after that. We don't hear about him for a while. So Randall comes back over to the store again, and he tells him about uh, I forget the girl's name, but they talk about her in Mallrats too. It's the girl that died she in dies. the swimming pool. She died right in mid backstroke. Yeah, they make the same joke, which somehow I forgot same. about that. He mentions the same girl. Yeah. And it's the way Same. he connects his universe together. Yeah, yeah. It's actually something that's kind of important to Kevin Smith's whole world, where you keep getting recurring characters like Walt Flanagan, like Scott Mosier, who plays Snowball, like the lines link up. And he says the same exact girl that died in mid-backstroke, which we also talked about in the Mallrats episode, where there's this girl who dies right in mid-backstroke, and they're going to her funeral. So you get this illusion that, like, these stories might be happening at right about the same time in the same town with just another different area of people in the town. So one thing I thought was interesting was Willem. I wonder if that's meant to be the same Willem from Mallrats. Because Snowball's name is Willem. They, They call him Willem several times. Yeah, they call him Willem, yeah. And he kind of dresses the same, but it's completely different uh, actor and body type and everything. Yeah. But the name Willem is uh, uncommon enough that 
it's on the yeah, same it's kind of weird. meant to be the same guy. Yeah, but I think the Willem and Wallrats has a little bit more. I mean, it might just be the way the characters are played because Scott Mosier plays Willem in Clerks like a brain dead idiot almost. Like he's tripping on something. Like he's tripping or he's gone on a trip and never come back, you know? Yeah. And the other one is uh... Willem and Willem and Mallrats seems very much more alert, but at the same time also an idiot. And more angry, less laid back. Yeah, definitely more angry. So we have another connection in the next scene. Oh, well, hold on. I don't want to skip this. They decide to go to the funeral of this girl that that dies yeah. right amid bad, bad, uh, backstroke. And Randall's such a dick, he won't stay and guard the store so that Dante can go. And Dante wants to go because he knew the woman. And so... They both have to go, so they have to close the store and go. And when they get there, they play this. It's a five-minute clip, and it's a, or no, it says five minutes later. And then they're running out of the. Funeral. Well, wait, wait a second, wait a second, because we get a really important story before this about cousin Walter. Oh who was yeah, some, somebody else's uncle Walter. Remember from Mallrats, the uncle Walter that gets the gerbil stuck in his ass. He mentions the same guy. Cousin Walter is cousin Walter dies trying to suck his own dick, and he talks about you know he's like yeah he's like, he says something about his cousin Walter and he's trying to you know and his mother comes in on him or something and finds him and he's he's like yeah he was he died broke his back trying to suck his own dick or whatever and his mother found him he's like so did he make it he's like balls resting on his chin. <laughs> And then he's like, you know, saying something like everybody, everybody's tried to do that at one point in their life or another, which, you know, most people have, which is what makes the joke funny. So, and then he goes, and he goes, I could never reach Dante. Dante says, I could never reach. And he looks at, at Randall and Randall goes, what? He's like, you know, my dick, I could never reach my dick when I was trying to suck my own dick. He's like, you know, you said everybody tries that. And Randall goes, I never tried that, you <laughs> sick fuck. Yeah, and then Randall insults him for it. He leads him right into yeah. it, and he insults him. Yeah. So, but it's important because Cousin Walter and Uncle Walter are mentioned in the in the Kevin Smith universe. Yeah, he, he keeps it pretty consistent with even the guys you never see. They're mm-hmm. across films with that. Yeah. So they go to the funeral of this, this poor girl, and then it says five minutes later, and it shows them running out of the funeral home uh, Dante slides across the hood of the car, Dukes of Hazard style, and Randall dives in, and they drive off. and He says, "I can't believe you knocked over the knocked over the casket." Yeah. Of course, he's really pissed at him. Then Dante yeah. yells at Randall, which he does several times. He treats Randall like shit. Well, and to be honest, Randall is like the best friend with the worst results. Yeah, you don't want to be with the guy that knocks over the casket at a funeral. Yeah, he's like a he's like a really good friend in that he he kind of always has uh, Dante's best interest at heart, but he's constantly creating issues for Dante at the same time. Well, it shows later on that Randall does care for Dante pretty deeply as a friend. Yeah, he threatens Caitlin, but that's a little bit further on. Yeah, it does lead into the next one, which is Paradigm. 
and they bring back yet another Mallrats reference. Well, since we did it backwards, they're bringing it back for us, but they they preface a Mallrats reference later when they bring up Rick Daring. Rick Darris, yeah. He's the one who, uh, the girl, Joey Lauren Adams' character from Mallrats fucked Rick Darris on a pool table. On a gaming table, yeah. So we see the, Smoke, the actual Smokey Rick and the Darris. Bandit. When we see him in this one, he's he's wearing the sweater and he's standing there basically calling Dante fat uh, the whole time and insulting his physique and, and trying to get him to join his gym membership. And this uh, passerby yeah. comes and she joins in on the assault on Dante, which is it's pretty funny but kind of mean too. But at the same time, they're also both talking about Caitlin Bree and some like Rick Darris mentions that he had fucked Caitlin Bree. And while Dante was dating her. And so that's super important to like, we're finding out more about the character of Caitlin Brie because she is unsavory, but also magnetic, you know, like we're drawn to her, but she's, she's not a good person. She's horrible. For him. They, they tell mm-hmm. him that she's marrying a Asian art major. Is that what they say? Yeah. So they break that news to Dante and then, uh, Rick Rick tells Dante that he used to bang her when when she was his girlfriend, and Dante finds out that he's been fined for selling cigarettes to a four year old. He says, "I never, I never sold cigarettes to a four year old." Of course, um, it was Randall. <laughs> yeah, Randall was watching the store for him and sold cigarettes to a four year old because that's what Randall would do. And when Dante confronts him about that, he says. The little girl you sold cigarettes to, and Randall says, "Which one?" And Dante says, "The only four-year-old girl." He says, "Oh, her." Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, hey, because he apparently, well, apparently he's like he has sold a lot of cigarettes to children. That's what Dante says at that point. I mean, a four-year-old is so tiny; it's not even. Oh yeah, well, when she, we actually see her come in and buy the cigarettes too, and she's like. This miniature person, like a, obviously a four, five, six-year-old, right in that range, and he just she—he's reading a magazine. She puts money on the counter, and he just grabs a pack of cigarettes and a pack of matches and slides it over to her, and she grabs it and walks off. That's so ridiculous. That, yeah, and that's and that's just like a cut the preface the actual scene that happens. So it's it's a fine of five hundred dollars, and of course Dante gets it because. Randall doesn't even work at that store. He works at the at the video store. Yeah. And all this all this happens to him at once. So he gets the fine and he finds out all that stuff. But then later on, Caitlin Bree herself actually shows up. And Dante just immediately forgets about his old girlfriend and goes back to wanting to date Caitlin. It's really pathetic that scene. Yep. Or Dante, she comes into the store and Dante's like, we should date. Why won't you date me? What if we talk? What's all this talking we've been doing? Does that not mean yeah. anything to you? He just found out that she'd been cheating on him with a different yeah, guy. Yeah, she's the worst. She's the worst girlfriend because she's literally kept this whole secret from him. She's talking about how she's marrying an Asian art major or whatever it is. And she somehow turns it into making him feel bad. Even though, you know, he's also cheating on his girlfriend at the time but he's definitely dedicated to her and she's mildly interested in keeping it going with him i guess it's so pathetic because i've seen guys like that like the girl is not as interested as the guy is and it's just sad 
it, yep. he knows all these horrible things about her. And as soon as she says, oh, well, he just said we were getting married. We're not actually getting married. He wants to take her back and date her. And the other girl, his real girlfriend, had already brought him that lasagna and made up with him. And they were on good terms. So he's really blowing a good thing on what he knows is poison. He is the hard to reach chip for him, Caitlin Bree. Yeah. So it goes from paradigm to whimsy, which is a very short one. And that just shows Randall sending Caitlin to the back, to the bathroom. Uh, she's there and, and she says she has to go and Randall Whoa. sends her back. Well, he doesn't send her to the bathroom, does he? Yeah. She just goes to, like, they're having a conversation about Dante, right? Yeah. Well, they're having the con- they're having the conversation, and then Randall threatens her by saying, "If you break his heart again, I'll kill you." And then yeah. he sends. I'm pretty sure he sends her to the back, or at least tells her where the bathroom is. Yeah, he tells her. Okay, yeah, yeah. So she uh, she goes back into the bathroom, and Randall threatens her, and then it's Randall and Dante in the store. Yeah. So it goes from that one to quandary which shows what happened when she went into the bathroom. And if you recall the old man from earlier who went in there with the porn, <laughs> he was in there. That's, this is the most disgusting scene maybe of all Kevin Smith's movies. It's, it's disgusting in its idea. It's not as gross because yeah. you don't see anything. But she, you don't see any of it. Yeah. She comes out and she's snuggling up with Dante and she says, oh, wow, you were so good in there. How'd you beat me out? And, yeah. and they draw it out, but long story short, she banged she this fucked old a guy dead in. guy. Yeah, she fucked a dead guy who had an arrest. And he was dead. Yeah, that's the that's the signature bar. It's like he was he was in there jerking off and died of a heart attack and still had a heart on. She goes in there and she was like, Oh, he didn't say a word. He just let me do all the work and stuff. <laughs> like she's telling Randall this and Randall's like, uh, he's been up here. And yet Dante's like, yeah, I've been up here the whole time. What are you talking about? And she, she starts going, what are you guys talking about? This is not funny. Stop fucking around with me. So she fucked a dead guy in the bathroom of a quick stop mini mart. I wonder if that's real. If, if you get a boner before you die, if it stays that way. Oh, that's a good question. Well, I mean, we know that rigor mortis is a thing, right? Yeah. So I'm assuming it could affect all parts of the body, including the boner. Well, they make a big deal about it. When they cart him off later under the, the medical sheet, you can still see the boner popping up. Oh, yeah. I love that. You can still see the boner when they're carting him off. And they do mention that the body that the penis can stay hard two to three hours after death. Oh, yeah, because Dante asked the now, detective, how could this be possible? I don't know if Kevin Smith did his homework on that and scientifically if that's accurate, but I like to believe that it is. Yeah, that was, like you said, it was disgusting, but that was a nice writing touch. You wouldn't think about something like that. Yeah, I mean, it's necrophilia, but it's uh, it's funny. It's implied necrophilia, so you didn't have to. And plus, uh, No, it's not implied. She bangs a dead person. It's necrophilia. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah, we just is. don't we just don't see it, you know. Like that's the only thing. In a way, it's a comeuppance for Caitlin Bree's character because she's the closest thing to yeah. a villain in the movie. And to be honest, fuck her character. So you know, like I'm glad she banged a dead guy. So she's completely uh, catatonic after this and has to be carted away for mental evaluations and multiple months of therapy as the 
the detective says to Dante. And Dante, yeah. his, he's got to be completely shattered, too, because she felt like this old dude had the exact same body type, I guess, as him to, to a fucking... Yeah. And yeah. We saw this guy earlier. He's like, like you said, this big, fat, 60-year-old man, so... And she yeah. fucked some other dude again. Like, she fucked a dead guy. She's cheated on him with all yeah, kinds of I guys, mean, and now even to, a dead guy. Well, to be fair, she thought that was him. That's not his fault. But, I mean, have you, like, the sweater he's wearing in that scene, would you have fucked him? Come on. No, he's a total loser. Like, Dante is a loser. I, and that was one thing that I kept recurring. I think I wrote that down somewhere in here is how, why do awesome girls like Dante? So Dante's got the most awesome girlfriend who's like very cute, very sexy, uh, bringing him lasagna in the middle of the day while he's at work. And then he's got this absolute stunner hot chick, Caitlin Bree, coming back to sleep with him at that. I'm like, is it is it is it his sensitivity or whatever? Because he's certainly not a manly man or anything like that. It makes me feel like I just don't know what was cool at that time period because this movie came out in 94. So it was probably a little bit before I understood yeah. how you're supposed to look to, to uh, attract women or something. I don't know. Maybe that was a good look back then. Well, I mean, he was Gil Hicks in Mallrats, So, you know, maybe he was actually taking her out for some deflated mouse and uh, slow dancing until the sun came up. Some wine and cheese at the opera house. Yeah. Yeah, he was supposed to be a. We I think we even said the same thing. He was supposed to be this cool looker, uh, chick magnet, and he just had a mullet and was weird. Yeah, it makes me wonder if like Kevin Smith just thought this guy was that like what you're supposed to look like for a sexy dude in that at that age. He does kind of look like a little bit of a thinner Kevin Smith, so maybe that is what Kevin Smith was going for. Yeah, maybe. I mean, that's that's getting deep into the psyche of Kevin Smith's insecurities, but. I don't know. And all throughout this, we have multiple scenes of Jay and Silent Bob. We haven't really talked about them too much because they, they're not that great. It, of the three movies we've reviewed, it's the least funny Jay and Silent Bob it's, scenes. It's the least funny, but it's also one of the most interesting. Like, their scenes are very interesting, but they're not funny. No, not really. Yeah. I guess the scene like where they're dancing is a little bit funny. Yeah, they're dancing, like he's dancing back and forth, and it just doesn't even have any dialogue, and it's kind of interesting, and there's multiple scenes, like, where he, like, where he puts up the I like cock sign on the door, and <laughs> pounds on the pounds on the door, and then Randall opens the door, and it's a thought bubble, or a, uh, a speech bubble, like a, a speech bubble from comic books that says I like cock, and it's pointed straight down through the window, so Randall's on the other side of the window, and it looks like he's saying "I like cock" in a cartoon sort of way. So there are like there are very funny things going on with Jay and Silent Bob, and we're establishing them as fun characters. And they do get a very important, meaningful bit at the end. But as far as their involvement in the film and their their per point and purpose to the film, that's not nearly as much so as, say, Mall Rats or Dogma. No, but they do, like you said, they have that one big moment coming up pretty soon. Before yeah. we, before it gets to that, though, it's Dante has a meltdown. It's Lamentation. And 
Dante has a total meltdown because of what happened with Caitlin. Uh, he's super upset, and he he still wants to go back to Veronica, but he thinks that he's in love with Caitlin. Uh, it's he's a mess, and Randall kind of tells him off for the first time here. Yeah. So it he oh it, he realizes he still loves Caitlin there, and he's too upset to go back to Veronica. So it goes to juxtaposition, and that's when Jay and Bob come into the store, like you were mentioning before. They come into the store to buy something, and this is a strange scene from Jay and Bob because, well, Jay, he starts off asking Dante if they want to hang out and says, do you smoke weed and we should chill on sometime? And Dante yeah. doesn't do anything uh, negative toward Jay, but at the end of the conversation, Jay says, let's get out of here, and he calls him a slur. This 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 guy Dante and he says you cock smoker just he's like he's pissed at Dante for no reason but in between that they well it's funny because that's kind of like Jay Jay is he just sort of overreacts or whatever but he also says he mentioned something very important when he says I see that uh, Veronica was it Veronica we say yeah Veronica Right, I see that Veronica girl coming in here. She's always bringing you stuff. She's always like bringing stuff. And most of the girls that ever dated me just want a weed or something, and then they want to get out. You know, so we get this important line. We get this important reinforcement of how good Veronica is compared to Caitlin Bray. Bray. So it's Jay and Silent Bob essentially that convinced Dante that he should stay with his current girlfriend and, and let go of Caitlin Bree. And it's Silent yeah. Bob who he speaks in this movie. He has his one line per movie. And in this movie, he's, he says something like, yeah, love lasts forever. I actually forget what he said. It was kind of corny and dumb, but something like yeah. you should stick with Veronica, essentially. Yeah, essentially he says, like, there, there are a lot of beautiful girls in the world, but not all of them will bring you lasagna in the middle of in the middle of the day or whatever yeah he comes out of left so field it's essentially re, it's yeah it's essentially reinforcing the idea of veronica over caitlin and we knew from the beginning we all know that veronica is the better girl from the beginning but dante has to figure it out and this is really because dante really takes a minute to say jesus he's right and it's kind of cheesy but it's it's yeah it's bob's one line and of course, Silent Bob is always, as he is Kevin Smith, is always dropping these one little line nuggets of knowledge on people. So he, he tells him that, and Dante says, you're right, I love her. And then it immediately cuts to Randall talking to Veronica, and he says, so that's it, he doesn't love you anymore. <laughs> yeah. Which I thought that was funny. It was, it was a nice uh, way they went from scene to scene there. And Randall, yeah. Randall tells Veronica that, and she gets really pissed off. Which again, Randall is way out of line as a friend here. You don't knock yeah. over caskets. You don't sell cigarettes to a kid and let your friend take the fall. And you don't tell your buddy's girlfriend that he doesn't love you anymore. Like leave that up to him. Yeah, and I mean, in his defense, he is states in a minute that after they have their row. That he states that oh you said you were having trouble instigating things in your life so I thought I'd help you out I thought I was doing you a favor yeah that... so it's like even though even though he's still kind of acting 
to help Dante, he is taking too much initiative, I guess, or I don't know, or he's, he has Dante's best interest at his heart and he still is, is, creating so much strife for Dante. Yeah. That's the kind of thing you shouldn't, I don't, I would never do that unless someone specifically told me, Hey, break up with my girlfriend for me. It's, it's a step past the line. So she views it as that as well. And she goes to the quick stop and beats his ass. Uh, She beats down Dante physically and, and verbally Veronica does. She tells him she loved him and, they could have made it work, but he fucked it up, and now he has to go back to that poor Caitlin Bree. And Dante, of course, is telling her, hey, I love you, and she says, fuck you, or something. It it seems like she's not going to give him another chance. Yeah. She was really pissed. And he admits to it. He says, yeah, I was going to cheat on you with Caitlin, even though she cheated on me and dumped me. I was going to do it anyway. And so he yeah. kind of gets what he deserves. Yep, and it goes from there to catharsis, where it Dante again gets into another fight, but this time it's with Randall. Mm. So it's an actual fist fight. He you know chokes out Randall, and Randall's punching him, and so they're laying in a big pile of food and and uh, debris after their brawl in the quick stop, and Randall tells off Dante again. He's throwing chips at him the whole time. Which, again, yeah. it's trying to be philosophical in a way, but Randall's defending himself saying, you shouldn't blame me for all your problems, when really Randall is the cause of most of his problems. I guess the underlying well, point he's trying to make is that that's Dante true. Like he's, for himself. Yeah, yeah. I think, I think the point is that Dante needs to start standing up for himself and, and being having some sort of backbone. So the ideal character is the middle ground between Dante and between Randall. Randall is obviously too outspoken and too upfront with how he feels towards the, towards the customers and, and towards life in general and has no ambition. And then Dante has mild ambition, but is completely laid back and just willing to accept life how it is and just accept it as he's He's been beaten every single day. Yeah, he's he's just a downer. Randall's trying to pull it out of him. The real question is, why are they even friends? I can't imagine. Uh, Dante doesn't seem very interesting or fun. He's always mad and angry, and Randall's pretty much the exact opposite. I guess yeah. it's because they work next to each other or something. Yeah, I mean, I guess I guess it's because they work there. But I mean, there's obviously they they obviously care for each other because. You get all the stuff from Randall to try to help Dante, essentially. Like, he's trying to help him, even though he's probably not helping him. And then even at the end of the whole thing, you get Dante being like, you know, when you're get, when he's getting ready to leave, Randall's getting ready to leave, he's like, just just Randall for me out the door real quick, you know? Yeah, it's the last. And, and, and even it, Randall says, I know you think I'm your hero. Or he says, I know, you, I know you think I'm your idol or something like that. He makes him admit it, right? Yeah, essentially. He's like, so, so Randall is sort of the character that Dante aspires to sort of be in a sense, but also not the person that Dante is at all. Yeah, it's, 
denouement, which it's the last one. And he, all I wrote down was Dante makes Randall do the weird walk, which I, how do you feel about the walk? I kind of like it. Well, yeah, it's, it's Randall's thing. It's, it's kind of cool. He, he walks in doing that too. Yeah. So when he first walked in, he, he's doing that as well. I wish I could, uh, we had some kind of video so you could do the walk and, and show it because it's a really, he kind of like walks with his knees bent, snapping his fingers and then shaking his head side to side, like shoulder. Yeah. It's almost like a forward walking electric slide sort of thing. Very strange. And even stranger is that's the end of the movie. I felt like there should have been another scene or two in there somewhere. It felt very abrupt. Yeah. It's, and nothing was resolved for Dante. Well, that's what I was going to say is there's absolutely zero resolution in the script. No, you don't know if he's back with Veronica. He says he's going to try to make up with her, but. So what, because there's no resolution, because there's no finite end to the story, it's literally just the life in the day of two clerk employees that work next to each other. Yeah. That's what the movie boils down to is. Yeah. One one clerk tries to teach another clerk to be more like him, and and vice versa. Yeah. And Dante, you don't know if he gets back with his girl. You don't know if his relief ever comes in. You basically just don't know how it ends up with him, and you never do find out, do you? Yeah. No. It's beauty. It's the whole story is beautifully character driven, but with no real. Uh, vision at the end, I guess you would say. I think if I rewatch Quirks too, maybe they give him a better ending. But I don't, I don't want to go into the second movie too much. But I do know he gets a much hotter girlfriend. Uh, yeah. In the sequel, and, <laughs> and they work at a different store, so. Well, the budget was better, so they could afford a hotter girlfriend at that point. <laughs> yeah, and it's in color, so you can actually see what they look like without looking like yeah. the nineteen forties. And, 1940s they're, and they're, they're working at Movie World. Yeah, they bring in movies in Clerks 2, which they reference yeah. in all the other movies as well. Well, at least Dogma Forward. Mm-hmm. I don't know if that's an upgrade over managing the quick stop. Well, I don't, he wasn't really managing, was he? He was just the, the head clerk. I completely forget what happens with Randall's character in Clerks 2. It's just kind of like the friend that's trying to convince him to not grow up and be an adult, I guess. I don't know. I think that's like his... His point and purpose is like, why do you want to go get married and leave and go with this girl that you hate? His, so Dante, Dante is being Dante, and he wants to have continue a relationship and move away from wherever they're at to move to somewhere else so he can sort of become an adult, even though they work at this movie fast food restaurant and just sort of our kids there. And he's in love with the manager. Randall's character for me in, in that one is – defined by his debate of star wars versus lord of the rings oh yeah and he's obviously star wars against lord of the rings but i think he's dead wrong about that one well yeah no the the kid that he's arguing with is kind of a little goofball or whatever but they make lord of the rings out to be nerdy and star wars not somehow which well lord of the rings is definitely nerdy and i'm saying that as a huge lord of the rings fan but Star Wars is also definitely nerdy and not nearly as much in-depth. I don't know. Well, there's, it, it was. The Star War, yeah. They've made it Star so in-depth that you can't believe anything that you read or see anymore. They want to 
they want to go back over and, and fix mistakes they've made. Whereas Lord of the Rings yeah. is perfectly preserved. Yeah. They can't really fuck up that story. The story is complete and perfect. Yeah, and that's the thing is like I, I can go back and reread stuff about the Lord of the Rings universe and just find out new stuff all the time and it all makes sense. It's like you're looking at the real history of a fake world and Star Wars to me just seems like a very extensive Hollywood sequel. Well, any Star Wars like super fan would tell you that the extended universe, this and that with the books, I guess they have books that are apparently part of the Star Wars canon. But when point, did the books come? Were the books first or were the books last? I guess they came in between the first three movies and then the prequel movies. And there was a time after the first six movies that I could have argued with you that Star Wars is as good as Lord of the Rings. But then this this last Star Wars trilogy came out and it was so yeah. bad it ruined the older movies. You know what was really good was uh, Rebel One. Oh yeah, yeah, I like Rogue One. That was the Rogue One, yeah. Rogue One was the best Star Wars movie I've seen, maybe of all time. I think it's my favorite, maybe of all time. It's not my favorite Star Wars, but I really like Rogue One. I've seen it multiple times, yeah. and it's a really good standalone story. Yeah, exactly. That's the thing. It was like they weren't trying to just play off of their old characters and make it a sequel, uh, just like money grab. They actually had their own story, and it made sense, and it was fun. And you know what was even better was that everyone died in the end of that movie. And it's rare that you see a movie where just all the, the best characters die realistically, and yet somehow they still kind of win. So Well, they, and they even fucked that up in the new movies. So those, all those people from Rogue One died to get the plans of the Death Star to the rebels so the rebels could destroy the death star right that was the whole point yeah. of the story yeah they get the plans they destroy the death star but then in these later movies come to find out the emperor is not only still alive but he's capable of making a hundred death stars so to sacrifice yourself to learn how to blow yeah, up one death no. star they just went back and ruined it and said oh these are easy to mass produce here's thousands of them Sounds like real politics. It was so you, stupid. You refute one Donald Trump lie, and now you have to refute them all. Yeah, they they like I said, it ruined because it ruins the sacrifice those people made in Rogue One. Mm-hmm. And they did that a lot. But we're uh, we're getting way off topic with Clerks here. Way long, off. Long topic. story short, Lord of the Rings is better than Star Wars, and I'll, I'll die yeah, on that I hill. think I think the literary world can agree on that. So in terms of Clerks. Uh, first, we can do the favorite lines or favorite quotes. Oh, okay, yeah. Um, I kind of already blew mine whenever I, I said that earlier when Dante's complaining to a customer about how many dicks his girlfriend has sucked, which is humiliating and funny at the same time. Like, why would he say I that think, to someone? I think our lines might be the same line. <laughs> he, what he says... Try not to suck any more dick on your yeah. way in the parking lot. <laughs> and not only does he say that, but the, the guy that's just leaning against the wall just casually scrolls <laughs> off after her and he's just hey, like, he's going to go here. get his dick sucked. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So my, my favorite quote is also try not to suck any dicks on the way through the parking lot. It's <laughs> such a good one. I still say that to uh, people like whenever they're leaving or something, I'll be like, they're leaving or something. They're walking away. I'll be like, yeah, all right, have a good day. Trying not to suck any dicks through the way through the parking lot. And that's a reference a lot of people might not get 
and they might just think, "What the hell's wrong with this?" Oh, guy? no way! Yeah, no way. <laughs> it's much more. It's much more like it's. It's. I mean, the theme through our last three podcasts are how me and you have definitely stolen Kevin Smith's work and made it our own life. You know, and our own who we are. A lot of times, I don't even realize. Like, regardless, yeah, regardless of how much we actually like the films, this guy had a major influence on us growing up. I agree. I would, if we didn't have to move on to something else, I would even maybe go as far as reviewing Jay and Silent Strike Back. I I could watch every single film he does, to be honest. Like, he is just entertaining. The guy writes with philosophical points, and it's sophomoric, yes, and that's fun too. If you just let yourself do that, if you let yourself be in the mind of, uh, middle school child at the same time as uh, someone who's philosophically introspective, it works. He's just, he's just a good writer. Yeah. He's, he's got a nice mix of a little bit of everything that, that you might want. It's, it's like not dumb humor, but it is at times. And, Mm -hmm. but he's, he always makes it clever. He puts a clever spin on things. It's a beautiful mix of dumb humor with smart humor. And I think your Seinfeld reference earlier was a good one because it, it does remind me of an episode of Seinfeld. It's mm-hmm. a lot better to watch it than to describe what's happening because it sounds pointless and unfunny if you just read it off a page or you say it. But then you actually see this this old Jewish guy asking for toilet paper to go to the bathroom or yeah. a cigarette, uh, a gum representative hawking cigarettes or, you know, going crazy with cigarettes. Try this Chulis gum instead. Yeah. Just scenes like that are just clever and funny. And Jay and Silent Bob, the idea of two teenage drug dealers that hang outside a convenience store every day and and dance and do drugs and look at girls. It's just funny and cool back then. It's creepy now, but back then it was cool. Yep. A couple guys just hanging out. And obviously they like doing it because in Dogma they said, hey, let's go. See if we can find a quick stop to hang out in front of. Yeah. And Silent Bob is a is a physical actor because he is still yeah. acting when he's up there in his trench coat. He, yeah. I can, I, there's a noticeable difference for me from Clerks to Dogma. He gets better each time. Uh-huh. In Clerks, he has a look about him like he's he's too cool and he's just staring off into the distance most of the time. Uh, he does yeah. have that one moment where he just busts out of the dance. Uh, with Jay. Yeah, well, it's like he becomes more of a silent actor as the films go on. Where yeah, his he uses his hands is, and things a lot more later. Yeah, he uses his hands and his face to express what he's trying to say and it's almost like he's a he's a uh, silent uh, an actor from the silent film era sort of like using those sort of uh mechanisms to to uh get us to follow along. Why do you think he wrote Silent Bob as silent? You think he just thinks that sounds cool, or he wanted a, to make himself a character um, that he doesn't speak as? Like this is my personal opinion is that he does probably doesn't think he's that good of an actor, and he wanted to write himself into the films because I do believe Kevin Smith has an egotism problem. Like I feel like he's a kind of an egotistical guy, and he wants to be on scene and wants to be seen and wants to be the center of attention for his movies. But I don't think he believes he's a good actor, so he he uh, very consciously wrote himself as a silent actor, sort of. So he probably used himself more. 
he probably views himself more as a TS or a Dante. And he's actually Silent Bob in the movies, but when he's writing well, those I mean, roles, he's probably he's, he's, he's all the characters that he writes in these films, but I feel like, you know, like every every writer is definitely a piece of the character that they're writing always, but I think he couldn't, he, he didn't have the, I think he had to put himself on the screen for some reason, you know? Yeah. Well, I, he, he succeeded at what he was trying to do. He made him. Yeah. And he nailed it too. Like, yeah, he nailed it. Like I love silent Bob and I love that character. Like he's, he's such a fun character and, and it's so beautiful because he is the genius behind all these lines. And at the same time in his movies, he never talks. Hardly ever. I feel like Jay and Silent Bob are kind of the 90s version of Cheech and Chong. Yes. Yeah, they're, for sure. They're cult, a cult uh, following. and, and Stoner classic. They're just a funny comedy pairing. They're kind of like stoner, goofball, slacker guys. Mm-hmm. Uh, very much so. Which is funny about the stoner thing because I found out uh, through the internet that Kevin Smith had never smoked pot in his life until he filmed a movie with Seth Rogen, and then he smoked. Really? What movie was that? I think it was um, Zach and Miri make a porno. Oh, yeah. Yeah, he... He had never tried pot up to that point? That's what he said. He said Seth Rogen convinced him to smoke. That's insane to me. Yeah. If you told me to name a famous stoner in the 90s, I'd have been like, yeah, Jay and Silent Bob just automatically assuming that they did, but I guess Kevin, blunt, that's, Kevin Smith that's literally blunt man and chronic. Yeah. Blunt man and chronic. So I thought that was cool, but all in all, when Jay and silent Bob are your best actors, that's not going to get a high grade for acting. Yeah. So if no, we're grading definitely. this film, Oh yeah. The acting's going to be poor, less than 10, I would say out of 20. Yeah. It's pretty horrible. And, the right, uh, the writing is good. Writing is top notch. That's what saves the whole film, because the acting is not believable in a lot of films. It's just, it just seems like high school or college actors performing a scene. Well, I can't give the writing a perfect grade because I felt like the script didn't go anywhere. But the scenes, yeah. uh, if you take each scene individually, they were funny and clever. Yep. So he'll get some points for that, but as a story, one big story, it doesn't connect for me. But I still think the writing is the strongest part of the movie. Yeah, they have some iconic shots. Considering they're on a twenty-three thousand dollar budget, the shot of the store from out front with the "Yes, I assure you, we're open." That's a pretty classic clerk shot. Yeah, not just clerks, but a Kevin Smith shot. If you if you show someone a picture of that store from there. A good number of people could tell you what that is and where it's from. Yep. Uh, in terms of music, I don't know how he got the licensing to put some of the music on there that he did. He yep. Alice in Chains uh, got me wrong mm-hmm. was in there. Bad Religion was in there. Well, I think I wrote somewhere something about the music. Uh, oh, music, never too recognizable, but always good. It's never pop music. But it's always really good music. Like he does a good job of picking out his music. I feel like he personally selected. Well, obviously in this movie, movie he personally selected everything. 
Yeah, like I couldn't I couldn't name I couldn't name the name of one song that he plays the in his movie. But it's they're all like songs that I could kind of sing along to just because of the movie. Well, I know uh, Got Me Wrong by Allison Chains when they introduce Randall. Yeah. That's the only one though. The other one, the song they play at the beginning is pretty cool too when he's getting ready. Mm-hmm. He does a nice job with the montages. That every time they yeah. have one in this movie, it's a good one. Yep. Um, I, all in all, what kind of grade do you give it, though? Man, that's so tricky. What did I give Mallrats? I think you gave Mallrats a 15 or a 16, and you gave 16. Dogma a 16. Yeah, I think I gave Dogma less than Mallrats, so 16, 15. I mean, it's strange, but like, I think I've got to give this one more like a 14 or 13. I, I, I want to give it a 13 and a half. Yeah, I'm right there with you. I'm on 13 out of 20. Yeah. And it's crazy because Rotten Tomatoes is the exact opposite of that. Yeah, I know. That's the thing is it just, it just doesn't uh, resonate with me as far as a cult classic. But at the same time, I respect it because of its importance like it was black and white. It was a low budget film. It made so much money and it, it kind of changed the landscape of independent films at that era. Well, there's something to be said for a director that literally works at a gas station during the day and then makes a movie at night. He's very dedicated and there would be no mall rats or dogma or anything that maybe not yeah. even the tusk if it wasn't for yeah. clerks. Yep. And so because of that, I'm impressed with it. But as a movie, it's not as good as the other two. And for nostalgia purposes, I have more nostalgia toward Mallrats because, oh, and even sure. Dogma because that's more – I watched it more times. And it's more kind of my time period. You know, they're playing Sega, whereas in Clerks they were probably playing Atari or Nintendo at best. Yeah, It's just a little bit before <laughs> me. And yeah. I don't relate to Dante – very much. I mean, you still you can relate to Randall a little bit, but not Dante as much. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, it's it's like you said. It's just a few years. Like we were really the cutoff line. So we were Mallrats kids, and a few years before us were Clark's kids. That's sort of. It still has its. It still has its significance, but it just doesn't grab each age the same, and that's why. It's probably not going to grab any future ages. You have to you have to really be alive in in that area of the world during that time to sort of get it. And we we were there for the Mallrats, even though I think Mallrats is probably not as good of a script as this one. Mallrats is much more Sixteen Candles, John Hughes. This is much more Seinfeld, which. Seinfeld is better writing. Yeah, and and Seinfeld is great, but it's not, yeah. not it's not as complete of a movie as even Mallrats. And Mallrats, yeah. everything got closure at least. And Clerks, yeah. it, I felt like it should have been ten minutes longer, and it would have been it would have been better. Yeah. So I would give it a thirteen out of twenty, and that would make it the worst of the Kevin Smith trilogy that we did. Yep, that's funny because ironically, it's the one that catapulted him to monetary success and fame essentially so maybe one day we'll get back to kevin smith we'll do jay and silent bob strikes back possibly i'm gonna talk you into doing tusk 
Yeah, yeah. I know you're not excited about it, but I really love Tusk. I'm not excited about Tusk, but that's literally, I think that's really just because the disgusting nature of the walrus when he's sewed up and becomes a walrus. Well, I won't ask you to watch the human centipede. Maybe we'll just do Tusk. We won't do yeah. Human Centipede. So what well, do you, Tusk uh... is disgusting too. I mean, I'm not gonna lie. I think this. I think Tusk is disgusting. Yeah, but it's really good. It's a good story, and it's yeah, it's creepy. It's creepy. It's a good horror story. Johnny Depp's in it too. Johnny Depp is in Tusk. I forget what part is he. He's the detective that has to find them. Oh, that's right. And and Johnny Depp and Kevin Smith's daughters are in Tusk as well as two clerks. Hey, what what was the Johnny Depp movie that you were telling me about? Waiting for the Barbarians. Waiting for the Barbarians. I gotta watch that. I gotta check that out. Yeah, you should check that one out. But I didn't like it that much. It was just kind of boring. So let's wrap this one up and, and give it a nice conclusion. All right. Say something sweet about Kevin Smith and Jason Mewes so that all the trash talk we've done about the two of them, yeah, it'll be washed away. Kevin Smith is one of my favorite writers of all time, and that's no lie. And even though I talk trash about him, even though I said things that probably the younger me would come back and kick my ass for, uh, Kevin Smith was an inspiring person because he did really magnify the idea of being a compassionate, smart human and being a jokester, sophomoric idiot. Like he paired those two perfectly. And I think, you know, I, tr- I really tried to, to encapsulate that at a certain point in my life. And at that certain point in my life, he was the perfect person that I needed to get me forward and to get me interested in movie scripts and following movies and understanding script depth and writing. So I will always think of Kevin Smith as one of my favorite writers, even though I will probably always also talk trash about Kevin Smith. When you're a public figure, you got to expect to catch a little heat for things. Yeah. And maybe he does have an ego and puts himself in his own movies and things like that. But at the end of the day, I have purchased Kevin Smith's products. I've supported what he's put out, and I've probably spent more time watching Kevin Smith-directed movies than any other director. If you add up all the hours, I've probably watched more Kevin Smith than, than any other one. So if nothing else, I'm thanking him with my wallet. And yeah. <laughs> he's probably thankful for that. In terms of Jason Mewes, I'm glad that he's not, uh, on drugs anymore and he was always one of my favorites in all those movies so he's a good Me dude too. like we can we can always say that we were rooting for jason muse regardless of whatever happened because you know we love the characters of jay and silent bob like we were inspirational to us in ways that we'll never understand and never know the answers to but still an important part of our our childhood i guess we'll find out exactly how big kevin smith's ego is if he's if he ever listens to this podcast because <laughs> it'll get yeah. it'll get back to him like uh the reviews in jay and silent bob strike back when they go door to door and and beat down oh. <laughs> <laughs> they beat down everyone that ever said anything bad about them yeah that's hilarious yeah that's maybe funny. we'll get a visit from 
from Jay. If we get a visit, if we get a visit, yeah. Don't step outside the threshold if they show up at your door because you'll get a beat. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) All right. right. So we'll be back next week with Donnie Brasco. And uh, anything else to add? Peace, love, and chicken grease. Peace, love, and chicken grease. We will see you next time. Shout out to my wife that makes up our entire female listenership. Everyone loves movies from Webster to Morocco. Who needs rotten tomatoes when you've got the rancid tacos?